Let me begin by just saying thank you so much to David. Um, I really appreciate it. It's not easy to do that set of music, um, and he does it so well, and it just tells the big picture. It really does. I told him after first service right down there, I said, it's my favorite part of what we do at Dorisville at Christmas is that music because it tells those stories so well. So I just thank you, David, for, for doing that and just keep leading us that way because I love to hear the great old, old story. Well, today we're in what? I don't know how many weeks is it, you know, in our Advent deal. And um, we're talking about um, Merry Christmas, Miss Scarlet. If I was going to ever write a book, which I don't think I'll ever do that, but if I did write a book as about Christmas, it would be Merry Christmas, Miss Scarlet. So it all started, and this is a story I understand that I have told on Christmas Eve service. I have told it here and probably told it on Sunday night at some point or another. But it's absolutely my favorite Christmas story, at least in these later years. And so it goes something like this. Um, when Faith came along, and, and that's my granddaughter, and she was about three or four years old, um, we would let her play with our nativity set. And somewhere, oh, back in Cobden days, a long time ago, before I knew you, um, someone, because of our southern genes, I guess, gave us a Christmas ornament of Miss Scarlet. Uh, and she is a character from the movie Gone with the Wind. And uh, so she was on our Christmas tree, and little Faith was playing with our nativity set in, right by the Christmas tree, I would assume. And then, lo and behold, she looks up on the Christmas tree, and she decides that Miss Scarlet would be a great addition to the nativity scene. So she reaches up on the tree and puts Miss Scarlet, as you see in the picture, right there in our nativity set. And so for the last 16 or 17 years, uh, Miss Scarlet has been part of the Christmas story. And then I realized, of course, oh, wait a minute. She's been a part of the Christmas story since the very, very beginning because Miss Scarlet really represents all of us. And I realized that she, of all people, needed to be in the nativity set. Miss Scarlet was not a nice person. Uh, you know, if you've ever seen a movie, you know, but she was um, mean and hateful and unforgiving. She was proud and pious and just not a nice person. She, she used people, and worse than that, she owned people. She was a slave owner. It's just everything that you would not like about a person, that was Miss Scarlet. And I said, oh my, that's us. That's us. If we really were honest and looked at who we are as people, we would begin to understand just how desperately we need a Savior. You know, Paul writes about it in Galatians in chapter 5. And here's what he says there. He says, the works of the flesh are evident. They are adultery and fornication and uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry and sorcery and hatred and contention and jealousy and outburst of wrath and selfish ambitions and dissensions and, are you in the picture yet? Heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you before, that no one, no one that, that has this stuff will enter the kingdom of God. And so there's Miss Scarlet standing in the manger, and, and I understand... Or standing by the manger, I said, that's, that's why it all happened. And, and this scarlet represents us. Because all of us, left to our own works, would be worthy only of, of hell. How amazing is that? So, so the story starts 
in Luke chapter 2 that, that Brent read, you know, it says, and that night there were shepherds. And, you know, he couldn't resist. But the shepherds were like Miss Scarlet. I mean, they were so not wanted by society. They were, they were outcast. You know, they were accepted by very few and trusted by even fewer yet. You know, probably in that group, if we're going to have a, if we're going to have a sorority or fraternity of sinners, it would be things like, you know, it'd be, it'd be prostitutes, it'd be tax collectors, and it would be shepherds, and it would be us. A stew, a stew of sinners, if you will. A goulash of sinners. And there were the shepherds. And the Bible says, though, that they were staying in the fields nearby. Now, this is very important for you to remember, okay? Guarding their flocks of sheep. So, no matter, regardless of the fact that they were outcast and nobody wanted anything to do with them... Um, they weren't Sunday school boys or girls, nor were they invited to church. In fact, can we be candid? They're the ones that we would say, no, we don't think you fit here. In spite of all that, the Bible says they were faithful. They were faithful. They were guarding their flocks. They were doing their job. And their job involved being faithful. Keep that in mind because that's going to play a little bit of a role just a little bit later on in the story. Well, in verse 9, the first part, here they are. They're out there, and it's all quiet, and the stars are, are out, you know, and they're doing their guarding their sheep thing. And the Bible says, suddenly, an angel of the Lord, most likely Gabriel, because he was the angel of choice for messages, okay? So suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among Did you know that? It didn't say above them. It says among them. Can you imagine them standing there, however many there were, and all of a sudden standing in their midst as an angel? Woo! Shoot that thing. All right? So, so this angel appears, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. I mean, instantly, all this glory, this holiness is surrounding them. It's kind of got to remind you of, of Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah the prophet has this vision and, you know, and, and he's there and he says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And there were seraphims, angelic beings, and they're going, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the door's shaking and the dust is falling. Well, that's just about what happened that night. They were standing there and then an angel shows up and all heaven breaks loose. And the Bible says, as the radiance of the glory shows up, they are terrified. Hey, wouldn't we all? I mean, come on. Wouldn't we all? Truth be known, if, 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 if that would have been us, we'd have been terrified too. But here's what I want you to grab. That's what they knew of God. Again, they weren't invited to Sunday school. And they certainly were not invited to worship to the temple. They were outcast. They were socially and spiritually unacceptable in their culture. Okay, so, so all they knew of God was the rumors going around. All they knew of God was what he, they had heard, what, what the talk on the street was about God. And what they'd heard about God was that he was somebody to be feared, that he was up there waiting to zap you. And that caused me to wonder and say, 
So what kind of message do we send out? I mean, what if, what if our culture is like that? What if our culture, what people know of God is what we exhibit to them and what we tell them, what message are we sending? What message have we sent in this COVID mess? What have we told people about God by our actions in these days? Because keep in mind, what they know about God often comes from those who say they know God. I just wonder what we sent their way. I wonder if they're terrified of God because they're saying, if that's God, I don't want any part of him. Might be true. But the angel speaks up. In verse number 10, the angel speaks up and says, it reassures them, is what this translation says, but the angel spoke up and reassured them and said, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Remember we heard last week, somebody's counted and said there's 365 times the Bible says don't be afraid. May, may be true, may not, I don't know. But I know one of the messages of Christmas, you know, when, when the angel shows up at Mary, don't be afraid. Uh, when, when Joseph's afraid to take Mary as his wife, don't be afraid, okay? And now this angel talks to these shepherds who are terrified and says, hey, don't be afraid. And here's why, here's why. You know, I bring you good news. Anybody here use a little bit of good news? I, I bet the shepherds could use some good news. I bet, I bet their day-to-day world was, man, not good. I mean, every time you went somewhere, people were talking about you and tearing you down. I bet they could use some good news. And so, so the angel says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy to all people. Do you remember our definition of joy? Do you remember that? A deep sense of well-being based on our faith in God and trust in His sovereign will. Remember that? Remember that? Now, you can fit that right in there. Look how it fits. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great sense of well-being based on your faith in God and trust in His sovereign will. And the good news was the gospel. The good news is, is the Savior, yes, the Messiah, this is verse 11, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. The good news was, what you've been waiting on has come. Because keep in mind, they'd heard rumors. They didn't learn in Sunday school, and they probably didn't get it in worship, but they'd heard rumors. And the angel says, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Rescuer, has come. Believe me, these guys knew they were sinners. We forget sometimes. We get all puffy and proud. And we, tell, we won't tell God how we kept the rules really well, and so we deserve to go to heaven. I know that really well. Most of the world thinks there's a giant scale out there. If you do more good than bad, then you get to go to heaven. But they knew that they were sinners, and the idea and word of a redeemer and a rescuer was good, good news. A Messiah, the promised one, Again, they'd heard rumors that, that the people that you know, worked with God and talked with God, the religious elite that, that went to the temple, had, had said, there's a promised one coming. And the Messiah was here. The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, Emmanuel, God with us. So the angel's good news was, is, hey, you need a Savior? God sent one. You need a Messiah? God sent one. You need a Lord? Emmanuel, God with you? God sent one. See, we forget what Christmas is all about. And the song that David sang hits it right on the head. That's why I love it. You know, a lot of the carols are nice. They're wonderful. We love them. But this music that David sings 
really brings home the real purpose of Christmas. Why it happened. Why he came. You know, Billy Graham did. Billy Graham said this. He said, the very purpose, the very purpose of Christ coming into the world was that he might offer up his life as a sacrifice for the sins of man. The whole idea, the whole Christmas story, the, the Bible from eons before and eons after because it's eternal, okay, was this, that Christ came to die for the sins of mankind. The, the, the whole Christmas story is, yes, it's about a manger, but it's more about a cross, about a man who was going to grow up to be the Savior of the world because he was virgin born, because he was born the God-man. He was born out of simple nature. He didn't sin by nature and didn't sin by choice. This man, the very purpose of Christ coming into the world was that he might offer up his life, that he might be willing to die on a cross as sacrifice for the sins of man. He came to die. And then Billy Graham says, this is the heart of Christmas. See, the heart of Christmas really isn't the manger. It's a part of it. It's a big part of it. But the heart of Christmas isn't a manger. It's the cross. See, if you, if you could take, if you could go back, or if you could even do it now, if you want to get one of our little whatever we manger, we do wood, most likely it was a stone feeding trough. <coughs> Excuse me. But if you were to sit there and have a light here and shine it on the manger, a shadow would appear. But in the realm of spiritual, the shadow wouldn't be the manger. The shadow would be the cross. Because the cross is what it's all about. It's why Jesus came. So in verse number 12, the Bible says, and so, and so you will, the angel speaking, you will recognize him by this sign. He said, okay, here, here shepherds, I'm going to give you a way you'll know you're looking at Jesus. Okay, here it is. You will find a baby wrapped, in, wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Huh? Have you ever thought about this? How many babies were wrapped in swaddling clothes in that culture? Let me help you out. All of them. All of them. Not all of them were laid in a feeding trough, but why was he laid in a feeding trough? Why was he most likely laid in a stone feeding trough? Because again, regardless of our culture, chances are it wasn't a wood stable, it was a cave. And it wasn't what we've got out there in the foyer where it looks like a wooden deal. It was probably a stone feeding trough. Why? Why did the angel say to, to these shepherds, hey, when you find him, you're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. All babies were. Why is it important that he said you lies in a manger? Well, I think we need to look forward. I think this, there, there's a message here. We're going to fast forward 33 years, in fact. And we're going to go to the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse 40. We have Joseph of Arimathea. This is not Joseph, Jesus' earthly dad, but Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And the Bible says in verse 40, so Joseph and Nicodemus took the body of Jesus because he was dead. He had just died on the cross. So he took the body of Jesus. And what did they do? They bound it in linen cloths with the spices as is the burial custom of the Jews. See, I, th I think there's a reason why 
I think the reason why the shepherds were told you're going to find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes is because I think it looked forward. See, what we have here are the bookends of Jesus' life. Well, what we have here is we have a baby bound in the swaddling clothes of birth. And at the end, we have a redeemer bound by the swaddling clothes of death. But here's what you've got to get. Neither one could hold them past his appointed time. See, see, Jesus didn't stay in a manger. One day the swaddling, come on now. One day the swaddling clothes came off. And he grew to be a man. Again, a man who lived per- perfectly within the will of God. He had no sin nature, nor did he sin by choice. He grew, he left the manger. Aren't you glad he left the manger? Aren't you Listen, we like the manger, but aren't you glad he left the manger behind? So he grew to become a man, and that man willingly chose to go and die on a Roman cross. And after he was dead, they bound him up in cloth, okay, and put him in a grave. He didn't need it long. Three days. Because on the third day, the Bible says he resurrected. He, yes, he came back alive. So, so the cloth, yes, the cloth bound him in birth and the cloth bound him in death, but neither could hold him. Neither could. Don't you know Satan? Satan would have loved to keep Jesus bound up in the birth cloth. He would have loved to have Jesus bound in the death cloth. But Satan couldn't hold him. Couldn't, couldn't hold him at birth and couldn't hold him at death. I think there's a reason why that's so. These bookends. Tell us who Jesus is and what Christmas really is all about. Well, in verse 13, the Bible says, Well, suddenly, suddenly the angel that was one amongst him now apparently goes to the sky. Uh, Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God. So all of a sudden, again, heaven just breaks loose. You see, see, for 400 years there have been silence. 400 years, there had been silence. And at the birth of redemption's child, the angels in heaven could keep quiet no longer. No longer. They had to praise him. And they do exactly that. Suddenly, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those to whom God is pleased. The good news explodes. Heaven explodes. In Revelation chapter 5, I think it's verse number 11, the Bible says, As they gather around the throne and their worship is one who appeared to have been slaughtered. Okay? And the Bible says that 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands of angels worship and praise His name. And the reason why is redemption's child has been born and the redemptive man will die on a Roman cross and death could not hold him down. Death could not hold him down. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. We've got to get beyond the baby in the manger and understand we worship a risen king. We serve a risen king. Well, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Wow, we've got to hold some bad pizza. That's not what they said, was it? No, no. Look what they say. Let's go to Bethlehem. See, it moved them to action. 
Just like Brent said, it moved them to action. They had to go, they had to go to Bethlehem, they had to see this, and then when they saw it and went, they had to tell. They had to tell. So, so let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. In verse number 16, they hurried. Somebody say hurried. We, we hurry through Christmas, but we hurry for the wrong reason. See, so they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the babe, as I said, lying in a manger. Mary hurried to Elizabeth's house. Joseph hurried to find a room. The shepherds hurried to find Jesus. So what's the hurry? The hurry is the gospel. The hurry. That doctor said it so well. These people are so looking for redemption and they're so blinded by their own religions. We've got to get the word. Someone said, didn't check the quote, I've used it before though. The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. So the good news of Christmas is God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So coming up the rest of the week, the rest of our lives, let's remember that we celebrate Christmas and we're so glad that God became flesh and dwelt amongst us. But don't forget why he became flesh and dwelt amongst us. God became flesh and dwelt amongst us so he could die for us. Paying the price for our sin. And the willingness is this, the greatness of this is, is that any man, woman, or child who is willing to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, turning from their sin and following him, can have redemption. That's pretty powerful. And that's why Christmas is such good news. Amen? Amen. You know, and did you know that, you know, right before, uh, Thursday night before he died on a cross like that, he wanted to, he wanted to leave a message. He, he wanted to leave, an, you know, a, a hint. I mean, he wanted to kind of leave a, an idea that, hey, hey, you need to know what this is all about. So it's very appropriate today that we remember what it's all about by remembering what he did on that Thursday night. They had to pass over, and, and then he did something different. He did something new. You know, the Bible says he, he took a, some bread, and he passed around. It would have been a loaf of bread, and he passed around, and the guys were breaking it off. And then after they had done all that, he goes, you know, you need to know. Um, you don't understand it now, but you're going to understand it. He said, um, this, this represents my broken body. And, in fact, this body is broken for you, for you. They, boy, they didn't know, but in 24 hours they would know. And then, and then he took a cup, and it would have been a chalice, and it would have been something we would never do here, <laughs> even before COVID. Um, but a whole chalice, and they would do the common cup, and they each one took a sip. He said, now you need to understand about this. He said, you see, this represents, this represents the new covenant in my blood. God's new way in my blood. And as often as you drink it, I want you to remember that. That, that the new covenant is not based on your works. It's not based on the fact you call yourself a Baptist. That you go to church or you've been baptized. It's my sacrifice. It's my blood. That makes salvation and forgiveness and relationship with God possible. So it just seemed really right that we do that today. 
And thanks, it's the way we do something just a little bit differently. Hopefully when you came in today, you got a cup. And uh, again, totally different than we normally do it, but it surely works well. But if you'll take your cup this morning, and if you'll peel back the little purple seal, it just shows peel right back there, and there's a wafer in there. And the wafer represents the bread that day. And when Jesus in that upper room said, you know, this is my body, and it's broken for you, and I want you to take, eat, and remembrance of me. And he did that to remind them about what's going to happen. So let's eat the bread. And then if you'll peel one more layer back, it's silver. Just pull it real gently back, it'll peel back. And this represents that common cup that he would have used that night. And as I said earlier, he said, you know, know, this is the new covenant in my blood. And as often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. And that, is what Christmas is all about. Amen. Amen.